Oh, that's right. You've made it all the way back to the Pete the Planner show. It's a great pleasure of yours to have met our acquaintance once again by we. This time, I mean the whole crew. Kristen's back from her sabbatical. Um, Dame is Dame's always here, except when he's not, yeah. including a couple weeks ago and next week. Uh, uh, hi, Kristen. Hello, Pete. It's good to see you. Um, and of course, since this is a podcast, not a lot of other people can see you. So let me paint the picture. Kristen oh, now has a background uh, in her shot. She's got her, her new home set up, which includes a bookshelf with, I believe, a college degree and a bottle of whiskey. Is that correct? correct? Yeah. And okay. two books. There's two books on the bookshelf. What are the books? Uh, Freakonomics and mm. The Success Principles. Oh, yes. Read them both. Dame has a painted buffalo behind him, maybe a bison. I don't know the specifics. Um, and is wearing your money line shirt. All right. So we've painted the picture. Um, guys, this week, uh, what's on the show? Kristen, what are we doing this week? Uh, we could talk about the book Loaded. Damien read it. I'm reading it. Um, it's about money, psychology, and behavior. Okay. You know, well, that's my what we're doing. Uh, then we, Dame, uh, right before we went to air here, uh, Kristen had uh, an idea about how does a person supposed to survive on one income uh, to create their own household prior to the age of 30? So I think we're going to have an open discussion around that as well. Dame, you're on vacation next week? Uh, all week. All week. All uh, staycation, gocation. What are you doing? Gocation, traveling south a little ways. Oh, <laughs> is that what they call it? No. Well, well, you uh, said staycation, so I said gocation. I will say to you all that I was in Orlando this week on business, and on the way home, we hit a storm in the plane, and it was one Don't of those where the plane me. dropped by like fifty feet suddenly, and people no. who were completely buckled in gave one of those those bounces you could see some people bounce higher than others and no. so i'm in this moment i'm thinking okay i could die today um and then i got upset because i looked over and the guy next to me had his shoes and socks off <laughs> and i thought look i might die in a plane crash but i don't want to die next to him and then i felt bad because that Ew. feels dark you know gross yeah it was gross he had toe jam. I think he had toe I'm jam. I, it's what, it, it's um, what I could see. I don't have that good a vision, though. So it could have been a smudge on your glasses. It could have been a smudge on my glasses. Could have been someone's spittle from when we all bounced out of our seats. Uh, all right. Let's start the show. I hate to tell our friend Jeremiah, but not a lot of time today. So we're going to have to wrap this thing up. I've got an event in Houston via the internet. And uh, T minus 55 minutes. So, uh, T minus five minutes in Houston. You see, it was like a, a yeah. shuttle launch thing. Yeah, I, got, I got it. It was actually unintended. Oh, Caitlin says hello. You're hello, wasting Caitlin. time, Pete. Oh, sorry. In th oh, I'm not ready. I'm surprised. Can I say something real quick? Um, my neighbor oh. has three teens. Um, one is a young man, and then they have two older teens. And every morning, one of the teens leaves at 5.30 a.m., and double honks her horn. Nice. She leaves. <laughs> and it wakes me up every day at 530. And I don't want to confront a young teen woman. But I'm to the I'm to I'm close. I mean, I don't know if I should say this on there. But like, I've, I've Googled arson. Like, I'm so it's like, I don't know what to do. I haven't Googled arson. Um, I don't know what to do. Like, 
how am I supposed to have a breakthrough conversation with someone that thinks it's a good idea to double honk every single day at 5.30 a.m.? I talk to the parents probably instead of approaching a young woman about this. I was, I here's one thing. I think I'll put on dark clothes. And don't scare at, her. I was, I was just going to approach oh. her at night at 5.30 a.m. before she honks from a corner of darkness. And, and I could just say, listen, before you decide to honk your horn again, I want you to think twice. What do you, is that a good idea? How's that different from what I told you to not do? Okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> Okay, here we go. Show starts. Three, two, one. This week on the Pete the Planner Show, we're here to answer your money questions. Here's how the show works. You email us, askpete at petetheplanner.com. That's askpete at petetheplanner.com, and we will answer your questions. It's amazing. We don't even say, hey, call us on Monday, and we'll sell you some stuff. That's not what we do. That's not how our show works. By our, overemphasis on the O-U and R. I, I welcome the show... Damien Dunn, we share a namesake. We do not share a bloodline. Hello, Damien. Hello, Pete. And Miss Elanius herself, Kristen Elanius, uh, Director of Education here at Your Money Line. Uh, hello, Kristen. Hello, Pete. Damien, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention your title because we don't want to say he just works here. Damien is uh, the Vice President of Advice here at Your Money Line. And I, I am I'm simply the host of this show. Uh, Kristen, on the show this week, we've got a couple different topics. You are reading a book called Loaded. Dame has okay. read the book Loaded. Uh, so we're going to have a discussion point around that. And then we also want to talk about how feasible, honestly, in, in the modern era, is it to uh, have a, a single income household under the age of 30 in which you're self-sustaining. So we're going to hit those topics. Dame, where do you want to start? I mean, I'm going to put you in charge of this. Where do you want to start? Ooh, wow. Uh, you know what? Let's, uh, let's start with a conversation on feasibility of single income households. So, Kristen, you brought this up. Um, what are you thinking? Like, where, where are we going with this? I saw this question posed on the internet. It was like, how? How do you have a single income household if you're under 30? And I started to think to myself about how many people do I know that are under the age of 30 that are living by themselves? They're the only income source. And I don't know that many people that fit that bill. Um, and so then I got to thinking, I'm like, so what is, what's the answer? And is it, do you have to have two incomes in your house? Is it, you have to have a partner that you share finances with, or is it, you have to have roommates? And I think the answer is maybe. So I, I have a question, I guess I'll pose it to Dame. Dame, the way I start to think about this, isn't as, isn't it as easy is to say it's just about the amount of income that's coming in, not the number of incomes coming in? Yeah. yeah I mean, you can very easily have a, a successful, uh, comfortable, stable, single family house or sorry, single income household. But I think the challenge becomes, especially as you are a um, new graduate, either from high school or college, income may not be exactly what you want it to be. And you're balancing a whole bunch of different needs, uh, whether that's uh, rent or car payment or student loan repayments, uh, check local listings for repayment dates starting soon in an area near you. Um, you've got a whole bunch of competing uh, issues that, that need dollars. And then you've got to figure out how to fill in the gaps with everything else and have some semblance of a social life. And that can get really challenging for a lot of people. Yeah, Kristen, I'm curious how much your perspective on this is I was going to say tainted, but that sounds really negative, influenced mm. by the student loan conundrum. I don't, 
I don't know how much it is just because we haven't been in repayment for so long. It almost feels like, I don't know about the two of you, but I feel so far removed from student loan payment. It feels like it's been a really long time since that's been the issue that plagues someone's barrier to entry. I think more than that right now, the conversation is housing is unaffordable. And I feel like that student loan conversation is a back burner item for better or worse. I'm not saying it should be, but it just feels like it's been so long since we've talked about it. Okay, so I'm going to uh, plead guilty to ignorance because I, I I didn't even consider that this conversation was actually about housing affordability. My head was going towards the other expenses in a person's life and the starting incomes of a household. But Kristen, to your point with what's happened with not only interest rates, but the housing market, um, renters, uh, renters are up against it as it, it relates to rising rent. So, it, so that's the, that's the premise of this whole thing is housing prices are possibly the reason. I think it could be that. And also for the last couple of years, I bought a house in this ridiculous, what did we call it? Tulip mania house, yes. housing market. And I purchased a house still within what would what I would consider to be a reasonable place, but I wanted to be far below where I ended up from a monthly payment perspective, but I could not even compete at the price point that I wanted because I was not an all cash buyer. So how is someone supposed to live below their means if below their means their competition is hey, I'm going to give you a, you know, a 10% increase in what you're asking and I'm going to give you all cash. Like you you just can't compete with that. I feel like the most practical thing I'm hearing here Damien is the argument as to why it's completely okay to move back in with your parents post college if, if that's where you end your education. Bingo. <laughs> that's kind of where it sounds like it's leading. It makes me want to start building a, a little uh, mother-in-law suite that will soon turn into uh, children suites. Yeah, it's interesting here, right, with this topic because if I'm again, if I'm being honest, which I tend to like to be honest, um, I was Mr. Tough Guy around uh, push them from the nest and let them fly away. It is my personal strategy up until this point in my life. But as I lay sleepless in bed last night, it, it hit me that my daughter is five years younger than her mother was when her mother and I met. Right. And so you start to see this time tick by and you're like, okay, well, maybe this isn't going to go as tidy as I thought, even with all my planning, Kristen, I'm curious, uh, totally off the top of your head, which you love, uh, out of 10 people, 10 youngs under the age of 30, um, what's a reasonable amount of youngs uh, that is feasible for them to uh, actually succeed at creating their own household? Single. I was married at 22. I had to lock it down. I'd, I wasn't getting any better looking, you know? Well, not to throw like a wrench in this, but last week, the two of you talked about how you wish you had saved more before you were 30. And is the, if we're not, you don't want to give up quality of life. So where can we find that margin to save more? And is it by giving yourself some time, assuming the situation's like healthy and everything to live with your parents when you're an adult, if your parents are able to do that and you feel comfortable with that and you can super fund some long-term savings and save for a down payment for a house, maybe I might make the argument that the number should be there should be more people maybe considering this as an option. I don't like that that's our reality though. 
I just feel like there's no plan at all. Like, Damon, I, I think about this. It, the socially acceptable thing, uh, still culturally acceptable thing, is to go out on your own. Mm-hmm. It's still somewhat shameful for you to mm-hmm. move back in with your parents or even get a roommate. Or, But I think ultimately what we're talking about here is that there's just no... I was going to say there's no national plan for this. There shouldn't be a national <laughs> plan for this. But th- there, there's no sort of movement towards something that is reasonable here. I, I have to say I went out and Googled the oh. apartment complex where uh, my wife and I lived right after we got married to see what rents were now for essentially the the apartment that we, we had. It's doubled uh, in the last 19 years. So it's gone from 700. Well, it's uh, not quite doubled. It was 700-ish. Now it's uh, 12 to 1300-ish for a one-bedroom, 700-square-foot apartment. Well, now I've got to look up where I live. <laughs> Mrs. Planner and I bought our condo right out of college for $106,000. Oh, $106,000. What was your HOA? Uh, that's a good question. Like 300 a month or something like oh. that. Something stupid. <laughs> um, it is now worth $229,000. Uh, some, what's the math on that? 22 years later. Yeah. Um, so completely unaffordable. I mean, there's there's no way. And the interest rates are actually climbing back to where they were. Mm-hmm. Our interest rate was 8%. Um, so we're, we're quickly approaching that. So let's do this. We're going to take a break. We're going we're gonna to settle down. We're going to towel off. <laughs> and we're going to come back. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, Kristen and Dame, have, uh, they're, they're, they've been reading a book called Loaded. And it's got a lot of thoughts about uh, is it okay to make a mistake when you know you're making a financial mistake and various thoughts around that uh, behavioral finance. So that's what we're talking about next right here on the Pete the Planner Show. We will not shame you if you live at home with your parents. Just make sure you're chipping in for food. All of this is next on the Pete the Planner Show. I'm Pete the Planner. Did I describe what the next segment is appropriately or did I butcher it? You kind of blended a couple of ideas in there, but that's all right. Uh, Well, we'll get there. Do we want to start with the quote or do you want to start with Dame, your question? Um, Loaded was your suggestion to me. So you choose how you want to approach this book. I don't care. It sounds to me like Kristen's coming back from the break and just tipping us off here. I think that's what it is. No, please don't do that to me. Welcome back to the Pete the Planner Show. This is Kristen, joined by yeah. There you go. But see, Dame's out next week, so it's just you and me. What if I take ill and you've got a you've got a solo show? What? Oh my gosh, the miscellaneous show. Oh my gosh, <laughs> what? What? <laughs> okay, we're gonna test that name coming back from the break. Yeah. We're changing the name of the show for the rest of the day. Okay. You you need your own radio show. No. <laughs> Forget podcasts. Go bigger. Go to a radio show where no one listens. Can I be a sidekick <laughs> on can I be a sidekick on the miscellaneous show too? <laughs> yeah. You're you're a sidekick on the miscellaneous show. Um I I will be well sort of I didn't get asked to participate, right? That's sort of just like the role I'll play. Okay. Yet I will I will bully my way in. <laughs> so um all right, miscellaneous show. I'm gonna tip I'm gonna pass it to you quickly. Uh Christy, and then I want you to take it from there. Are we good? I guess. Well, no, I guess. I don't even know. You guys did. You guys did show <laughs> prep. I'm just keeping the lights on. And that's saying something because the power out was out at our office yesterday. So keeping on the lights on, I've failed at oh. that too. So, so with that, we start a segment in three, two, one. 
back on the Pete the Planner Show, a.k.a. the Miscellaneous Show. Kristen Alanius, co-host of the Pete the Planner Show, and Damian Dunn join me now. Kristen, you've been reading a book called Loaded. Are you reading it for pleasure? Or are you reading it like professionally? Like how do you, how do you bridge that gap? I, it's probably for professional <laughs> consumption, but I also enjoy reading it and I read it in my free time. So I think that just makes me a nerd. Uh, out of respect of the author, Dame, I feel like we should give the author's name on the air in case people want to find it. Do either of you by a, a raise of an eyebrow have the name of the author? Yeah. Sarah mm-hmm. Newcomb. Yeah. Sarah Newcomb. Uh, can you spell that please? N-E-W-C-O-M-B. Excellent. The kids had an author come to their school just yesterday and at the dinner table, they were so excited to be in the presence of an author. Once again, I pointed out that they sit by one every day. And of course, they reminded me that no one wants to read my book. So please read Sarah Newcomb's book, Loaded. Uh, Help us understand, Kristen, the premise of this book and why it is so interesting to you and why uh, here on the miscellaneous show does it warrant (laughs) conversation? The book like a lot of the other things that I'm passionate about is really about money psychology and money scripts and what molds us into our feelings and thoughts about money. And I started full disclosure, Damien's read the whole book. I've not read the whole book. Um, But when there was something that stood out to me in the very beginning of the book, and the quote is, if you don't pay attention to money, it will rule your life. And I was just, I kind of like sat back in my chair and I just thought to myself like, how true is that? Um, And then the author goes on to say that by avoiding money, I was choosing to continue the familiar pattern of lack and financial anxiety. And I just think that there's so much to unpack there. Yeah. It's one of those things, Dame, that you have to care about so you can eventually not have to care about it. Is that, is, is that the gist? Yeah, it's, it's this weird, complex um, issue that, that we all face. And uh, the more you care about it, the less you can care about it is, is essentially where it gets to. And once you get those those behaviors and habits set up and ingrained into your daily life, then chances are it's not going to be much of an issue for you because you're going to be in a pretty stable situation. Yeah, Kristen, I, I, this feels so much to me like the way I think about credit. You, you have to mm-hmm. care about it early so then it's not a problem for you. I feel like that's the perfect manifestation for it. Yeah, I think that's totally true. And the author then continues, she goes on to unpack why. Um, And something else she said toward the beginning of the book that really, that I wanted to kind of get your, both of your anecdotal opinions on, um, she makes the claim that it's common-ish knowledge that um, wealth does not span more than three generations, that the first generation earns it, the second generation spends it, and then there's nothing left for the third generation. And I kind of struggled with that a little bit, I think. Uh, well, Dame, let's put the old anecdotal test to it. Um, what, what have you witnessed? That, that seems about right as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Yeah, it's not too far off. I think the second generation has a better shot at maintaining it. I mean, at least maintaining it, if not building it, because they have a closer tie to the origination of the wealth. Mm-hmm. But then that third generation comes by and uh, and usually doesn't uh, have the the wherewithal or or the discipline to 
do what it takes to make that wealth, at least a significant amount of that wealth, make it to a fourth generation. And by the time the fourth generation rolls around, it's very rare for that to to continue to, to transfer beyond that. If you're just joining us here on the Pete the Planner Show, it's a very special miscellaneous episode today. We're trying a new brand for the show. It's called the Miscellaneous Show. Kristen Alanius is one of our hosts, and she is a miss, so it's miscellaneous. It's a good joke. Kristen... Um, it's interesting every time we have this type of conversation, the one we had in the previous segment, it's hard for me now not to go straight to man, financial literacy in our country is abysmal. It's not good. (laughs) It's not good. Just the myths that you see on, I know last week we were griping or you two were griping about social media. (laughs) What? No. Yes. I was away for one week and it turned into the old man gripe about social media show. (laughs) No, Uh, no, couldn't have been. Uh, But like just the myths that you see on social media and like access to knowledge is sometimes so wonderful, but can also be a hindrance because there's so much bad advice out there. But then back to this like generational thing and pulling from the book, I think that her claim is that because we don't pass on like good money psychology, that could be why wealth doesn't span generations. And that brings us all the way back to when we were talking about like, if you think you're going to leave an inheritance, should you be having conversations with your kids about it? If we were having more conversations about money, more real conversations about money, could wealth span generations or can it just not be fixed? Yeah, Dame, I keep thinking the same person that sensibly built this wealth raised the people that are inheriting the wealth. So shouldn't there be this natural congruency where the person can maintain the wealth? You would think so. You'd like to think so, but that's not the case. I mean, I I don't have to go far to see uh, how divergent behaviors and attitudes and beliefs towards money can be because my kids, I don't want to say they're on the polar opposite end of spectrums but but one of them um sees money as something to be spent readily freely uh and and without much discretion and the other one is is much more disciplined and would like to save and and continue to uh build her own net worth and it's it's amazing they hear the same conversations they see the same stuff but they take it in two completely different ways now, in spring term of my uh, junior year in college, senior year in college, actually, I took gender communications and I wrote a paper about how gender communications um, uh, can get awkward at times. So every day I went to Clarksville, Indiana, and I sat at a Hooters and I took notes as men interacted with their Hooters waitresses. This is true. This is a true story. And I wrote a paper on it. And so since I have all this background on gender communication and gender studies, (laughs) I want to, I gained a lot of weight that month. I want to bring up a very awkward point and a good point, actually. I think it is possible now that there are many more women in the workforce earning significant dollars that this idea of inheritance being wasted away uh, could lessen. I I think the prudence uh, of, of, of women earning more money, I think that could actually shift this behavior. Does anyone care to react to gender scholar Peter Dunn on this? I, I would 
I would probably agree with that because I just made the claim earlier this week that I think that millennial women, women are changing the way that collectively we think and speak and converse about money. Um, Mm. And hopefully that's for the better. I want to believe in biasly my people. Um, So yeah, (laughs) I agree. Well, Dame, even look at sort of the the financial experts out there, not that financial experts really, uh, you know, control the ethos of, of the financial world, but a lot of the the experts that I like to follow and I find interesting are this man. This sounds creepy. Are young women, <laughs> right? I, I I think that newfound sensibility, that different perspective, can can maybe lead to different outcomes when it comes to things like uh, things like inheritances. Yeah, f- female planners, women planners are really successful. And if we're talking about specifically investments, they they tend to have better results than than their male counterparts. So it's very possible that. Um, w- women are going to have a significant influence in where uh, the financial future of the individual in this country goes. Um, I'm not sure a month at Hooters gives you quite the credibility to make a claim on this, but I would be interested in how many free wings you got while you were there. Um, I had hair at the time. Um, okay. I, I w- there was this one guy that came in like every other day and in the, f- like the, the atrium, I don't know, foyer, I don't know what it's called. As he's going through, he would take his wedding ring off and put it in his pocket. <laughs> I wrote about him coming up after the break. No more observations about gender, but more about money. I'm Pete, the planner. True story. The priest at my wedding, uh, Mrs. Planner and I's wedding told that story to the congregation and my, that's nice. My wife's grandparents found that to be uh, jarring. <laughs> <laughs> jarring. <laughs> uh, that was a Mennonite joke because they did a lot of canning and jarring of fruits and vegetables. Uh, it's a stretch. No, I mean that. I mean, if you if you knew them, you'd be like, "Wow, that one was deep." Yeah, it was a deep cut. I think it's still a stretch. Uh, my daughter asked me, she, she wants me to help her with a school project in which she has to make a YouTube video. And she nice. said, she goes, have you seen modern day YouTube videos? And I was like, yeah, in fact, we're, I'll create one tomorrow at 10 AM, an hour long one. <laughs> Kristen, she inadvertently threw you under the bus. She said, Aww. well, she did not by name. She goes, no, not a like not like a boomer YouTube video, but like a modern one with memes. <laughs> so, I mean, Dame and I could arguably be called boomers. Uh, Kristen, you, you've never been called a boomer, but now you have Probably it. Not, no. Oh, Ollie, you precocious little lady. Dame donuts on spring break, uh, or I guess it's not spring, fall break. Uh, you do some special donuts for yourself? I don't know. I'm, maybe. I don't know. I owe you a dozen uh, based on Kristen cheating and probably letting you know she was watching the show two weeks ago when she was on staycation. Well, we're splitting them. I mean, she's uh, she's going to get six and I'm going to get six. Hey, guys, I'm not going to be on the show. I think October 14th, maybe. So I think we're going to do a best of or I might just turn the keys over the castle to you two peoples. We can discuss for oh. We shall discuss. All right. Um, is there enough meat on the bone left of loaded, especially as it relates to mistakes that are, you know, their mistakes? Like we can do that, right? Yeah. I mean, the, the question that I had was, is a financial mistake always a mistake? And the example was someone buys a house they objectively can't afford, but they end up walking away oh, with I like that. 50 grand in equity after 18 months because of a ridiculous housing market. All right. Can you just bring us back? Yeah, sure. 
Okay. Yeah. You, you give me a little head nod, a little touch of your nose, and then we'll be ready to go. Okay. looks like a yes. It's a baseball thing. The baseball thing. I'd give you the indicator first and then that. Uh, yeah. yeah, that's there right. Okay. In three, two, one. Back on the Pete the Planner show, this is Damian Dunn, Vice President of Advice at Your Money Line, joined with Peter Dunn, CEO of Your Money Line. Oh, AP. That's a little much. Hi. Right, How are you? I don't, we keep titles out of this for me. I think it gets awkward. <laughs> you've earned that title. Come no, on. no, no. Thank you very much. Um, just call me the planner. And okay who's actually not a financial planner anymore, which is the great irony of this yeah. whole darn thing. Yeah. And I, I've already screwed this up because it's actually welcome back to the miscellaneous show. Yeah. Joined by Kristen Elanius, director of education at your money line. Kristen, a thought occurred to me earlier this week. And that thought was, is a financial mistake always a mistake? Here's something for you to chew on. If someone buys a house that they objectively can't afford, but they turn around and sell it 18-ish months later, you know, the last 18 months, and they walk away with $50,000 of equity, was that mistake still a mistake? I do not. I, I think Pete likes this question. I don't like this question. Um, <laughs> I, I don't because... The first place that my mind goes to is what did you sacrifice in the interim to be able to afford something that was unobjectively, that wasn't objectively affordable? So were you contributing less to retirement? Were you, was your mental health um, in jeopardy because you maybe felt like you couldn't make those payments? Um, you might feel in the end that it was worth it, but for those 18 months, what did you sacrifice? Yeah, Dame, here, here's where I would go with this. Uh, and I can't believe I'm saying this. Isn't it just a calculated risk? No. I mean, isn't it? I, it, I would note sometimes people take terrible calculated risks. Like they calculate the risk, but I think they underestimate the risk and they still come out on top. But ultimately, it's still it's just a calculated risk. That's where I ended up with it. Uh, actually, really? this, this morning was, is it nothing more than just a horribly calculated risk at that point? But I, yeah, because I, I, I'm thinking about my example, buying a house that you objectively can't afford. If you know you can't afford it going into it, but you're going to try and take advantage of a housing market, then it's a risk, right? It's, it's, it's not necessarily, a it's only a mistake if it doesn't work out. <laughs> at that yeah. point it's it's a risk and I, i'm wondering how many other things that we could find in somebody's financial life that might fall into a potential category like this oh i like this because my first thought was i try to put a, a everyday life metaphor and Kristen, i thought okay well let's say i'm texting and driving uh isn't that some level of a calculated risk other than the fact that there's no payoff right so what what is interesting about a uh, a financial calculated risk is that theoretically there is a great payday that comes of it. So, uh, Kristen, uh, let's say you buy, don't buy term life insurance and the term and life insurance you didn't buy would have covered you for 20 years. You didn't die within the 20 years. And it was a calculated risk. Cause you're like, well, I don't plan on dying. You know, like people love to say when they don't want to buy life insurance, is that, was that a mistake? Well, hopefully, if you decide not to do something like that, it's because you've weighed a need. 
like just because you decide to like to not do something, it could just be because there isn't a need there. Like I full disclosure, like I don't have any intention of buying additional life insurance. I th- there's no need there. Like no one is financially dependent on me except for my dogs. Sorry, Caitlin. So I mean, I just <laughs> she would get my dogs in the event that something happened to me. But like I I don't know that I would call that a calculated risk. I think it would be that I determined there wasn't a need. I think there's a difference. Uh, okay, interesting. Dame, uh, as a person with with uh, someone depending on your income other than the local Subway sandwich shop, um, <laughs> that was a cut at Kristen, actually. Yeah, um, yeah no problem, anytime. Uh, do you view that differently? Because I view that differently. I, I, I'm assuming the person has a need and they're just choosing not to buy it. Is that the same example of buying a house you can't afford and then benefiting from it? I think life insurance is a little bit different because there are a number of factors that could change over that 20 year time period, anywhere from a family situation to a health situation where you may need insurance in the future, but all of a sudden you are rendered uninsurable. So I, I think there's always a need for some level of life insurance, but I've heard worse excuses to not do something. <laughs> Well, I mean, how can we not talk about things like crypto or meme stocks or just day trading in, in this regard? I mean, aren't those calculated risks that are often miscalculated that may work out? And was it a mistake to do it that way? I don't even think they're miscalculated risks. I don't think people view them as risks at all. They are just bought into lock, stock and barrel and to the moon because that's the only place this goes. That's exactly what I was thinking is like, can it be a calculated risk if there wasn't a like yeah. proactive thought process involved? And I'm not sure that there is one. Well, isn't Okay. So I go back to, uh, you said, give me some examples of this. I got a million of them. Uh, let's say <laughs> Kristen, that you bought your home on a three, one arm, uh, okay. adjustable rate mortgage. And um, when the three year period is up, there was no interest rate increase calculated risk uh, that wasn't a mistake or what? I That I would more be on the side of that's a calculated risk because I would assume that you would have to sit down with your lender and say, you know, these are your options. If this happens, you know, this is your financial reality. There has to be some level of objective affordability across the board. I think that's a calculated risk. Dame, you see that differently? Not really, I, because your plans could be wildly different. Maybe you're not sure you're going to stay in that house and you're going to uh, potentially move across the country. And so you don't necessarily want to uh, lock into a higher interest rate. So you go with a 3-1 or a 5-1 or whatever it may be. Uh, and then you reevaluate at that point once you know what your, your plans are a little bit better. You know, what's interesting, Dame, is we had our topic last week. One of our topics was regret. And when you start to classify something as a mistake, it's pretty interesting, right? Because you can you can say that was a mistake. I won't do it again. Or you can say that was a mistake. It ruined my life. I can't get over this mentally. Kristen, as, as we sort of began to discover this idea and this topic today of uh, if you take a calculated risk, it, it pays off. Was it a mistake? How, how uh, what's the other side of this look like where uh, you get burned on a calculated risk? Um, how much should you learn from it versus how much should, should you dwell in it? 
Well, I think that you have to dwell just a little bit because I think that if we don't feel the impacts of the decisions we make, they don't carry as much weight. Um, but you do, you have to find a way to say that the other reality too, is that you're likely never going to be able to replicate that same financial decision exactly as you did. Your income could be different. Your household size could be different. We could be at a different place from a global economics perspective. Like it's very unlikely that you will find yourself in the exact same position or that you could have known exactly where you sat when we consider all those factors too. So you have to give yourself a little bit of grace as well. Yeah, Dame, uh, as we put a bow uh, on this here today, um, and again, we talked about regret last week. Um, I, I, I have no problem viewing my past decisions that didn't work out as a mistake. And I, I hate to be the, uh, the, the failure champion here, I think sometimes it's okay. I mean, isn't that the whole point of this conversation? Sometimes a mistake isn't, a, it's okay. It's like, uh, yeah, I wouldn't have done it that way. Uh, again, if I got a chance to do it over, but I don't think it has to get so hardcore and binary as that was a mistake or that wasn't a mistake. No, I mean, we ideally learn from other people's mistakes, but we're bound to make them ourselves. And as long as you're learning from them, fantastic. Uh, hopefully it doesn't absolutely scorch your earth and, and you're able to recover from it. But I think the other part is we're so reluctant to show any sign of failure and call anything a mistake that that's going to uh, drive our our view and perspective of, of some of these decisions we make as rochelle says in the live stream right now every decision is time bound boy is that not true and applicable to every single area of our lives including my decision to have a second bowl of chili last night all right well no i just seemed like too much food and i was trying to wrap up the segment and it sort of fell on an absence of laughter. Let's move on. All right. Coming up after the break, you guys froze me out on that on purpose and I don't appreciate it. <laughs> coming up after the break with that fake laughter, biggest waste of money of the week and the news right here on the Pete the Planner show. Yeah, I'm Pete the Planner. You guys, I have something I need to admit to you that may explain this entire show. Mm -hmm. Damien has a hint to this based on the first email he received from me this morning. Uh, I, I woke up at midnight last night after going to bed at 10 and I couldn't go back to sleep. So I've been up since midnight just working. <laughs> so I'm a little, I'm a little, uh, uh, I don't have the brain capacity that I might normally have. I wasn't even sleeping yet. Well, no, I, well, look, I'm not one of the youngs. You're out watching those modern YouTube videos. Where's the, uh... <laughs> Where's Miguel to save you? Well, here's the thing. To get some work done in the middle of the night, around 2 a.m., I made a pot of coffee. And I started drinking coffee. Then I had a coffee meeting this morning at 8. So if I have any more coffee, I may collapse on the field of the 13-year-old girls' soccer game I'm coaching tonight <laughs> at 6 p.m. Okay. Yeah, I always tell people within our organization, please do not send emails at ridiculous times. Like It sets a weird tone. Um, and yet I'm firing off executive emails at 4 a.m. this morning. So. You, you know you can schedule those to send, right? Yeah, I didn't want to figure that out at 4 a.m. Mm -hmm. uh, but you know what? I will say this. I can write really well at that hour of the day, which is a good thing. No one cares about any of this. Let's move on. Um, let's move on. Biggest waste of money of the week. I actually found one while we were talking here. I was listening. Don't get, you, don't get me wrong. No. Um, okay, so I need to share it. You guys say something witty while I uh, pull this up here. 
I, I love it when he does that. The the pressure <laughs> to just come up with something witty. You know, I need a list of dad jokes that I can just say when he, he needs good. to uh, step away for a moment. That'd be fabulous. I don't think you guys understand the number of times when someone says, oh, you're a comedian. Tell me a joke. And like no comedian just has a joke loaded up, ready to go, especially a former comedian. I had uh, one of the the steps in a job that I had prior to joining your illustrious organization uh, included a um, interview with a psychologist. And at one point he leans across the table and goes, tell me something funny. Ooh. Oh, and I just started oh. laughing. I just started laughing at him. I think that's was, the only reaction uh, you could have. Yeah. It's like, that's, out. that's impossible. D- Dame, I, I remember that story. I promised to tell you that I said, I wouldn't tell you on the air. Oh, um, are you going to tell me on the air? I'm going to tell you on the air, but I'm going to alter it a little bit <sighs> so that I can tell it on the air. Okay. Um, I was in an Uber in Orlando. Ooh. Sorry, Chris. I'll change that view. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I was in an Uber in Orlando on, um, I don't know what day, Tuesday, maybe. And I'm going to my hotel and the driver, a uh, very friendly man. <clears throat> um, I don't think his accent, uh, he had an accent to suggest that maybe he wasn't domestically born here, or he certainly was raised in a community that uh, has an accent. Um, which I think plays into the story a little bit um, just from a cultural standpoint. So we're riding along. He's listening to some great music and his phone rings and the, the uh, caller ID pops up on the dash so I can see it. And it, and it says uh, baby number one is the, is the actual caller ID. It says baby number one. And so uh, it's a woman on speakerphone uh, who picks up who's, um, has a similar accent and, and she is, she's uh, uh, pregnant. She's telling him about how things are not going well. And he said, uh, I'm not going to do the accent cause that seems incredibly offensive. He said, uh, uh, you have a terrible attitude. And as Zig Ziglar says, tough times don't last, but tough people do. And then she said several choice words, <laughs> both in English with an accent and then another language. I didn't know the profanity in that language, but I could sense the profanity in that language. And she said, you know what? Forget you and forget your Zig Ziglar and then hung up. And then he just shook his head and he said, she needs to read more. And I was like, this is the strangest moment of my life, sir. And five stars. Five stars. I was just going to ask, did you give him two stars? Five stars for that entertain for this this content on the radio? Are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah, you you get some of the best interactions. I mean the the hotel bar story uh, from from a few years ago. This I don't I know. Mean, it just happens around me. Um, the Zig Zig. I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I tried to take something away from that is that if I was ever talking to a, a woman who was with child, I would not quote self-help books to her. That's my takeaway. <laughs> yeah. Probably not the move. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, the, the question that everyone is wondering is, was there a caller ID that said baby, baby two. number two? <laughs> There had to be, because there'd be a number one. You have to have a number two. 
unless it was his first and he's just really happy about it and he's just you know number well with an attitude like that there's not gonna be a second with her two. yeah <laughs> oh my gosh okay damn i'm actually be- feel better that i told you that story on the air because i could leave out a lot of the details yeah that's probably the better choice honestly okay and it's with that that we must continue quickly. I got to go, Jeremiah. Yeah, so let's do the show in three biggest waste of money of the week. Three, two, one. This week's biggest waste of money of the week right here on the Pete the Planner show is the 50 cent escape knife. Paranoia or good planning. Whatever the reason, the 50 cent escape knife is a unique and potentially life-saving piece of kit. Time out. I love the use of kit as a singular noun. Or is yeah. it actually a, it's a grouping a kit. Do you ever talk that way? Like this is my kit? Um, No, but I mean, you know, kit is a familiar term. If anybody spent much time riding uh, road bicycles. That's fair. Uh, during a search, coins are the most overlooked items on a person making this perfect for either carrying or pre-placement, a Japanese circular steel blade is housed in a case made from a split 50-cent piece, the real official U.S. currency, and is capable of cutting through rope, zip ties, or other non-metallic materials. The two halves are securely held together with a rubber O-ring in a channel around the coin's perimeter, with the coin itself providing a solid Grip, Kristen, I will start with you. First off, do you think this is a waste of money or do you need to guess a price before you come to that conclusion? I think I would need to know a price. This is very MacGyver. I'm yep. almost into it. Um, 50 bucks. Okay. Dane, where are you at? Uh, I'm going to go with uh, Big Rick Swink's suggestion, 1999. But if you <laughs> act now, you'll get two for the price of one. Yeah, Brian Pinkins guesses on the live stream 150 American dollars. And the answer is $40 for a 50 cent piece that can cut zip ties. Dame, this begs the question before we get to the news. Have you ever been zip tied? No comment. <laughs> Kristen, have you ever been zip tied? No. All right. What's in the, and no, I've not been zip tied. Uh, what's, I'm too boring to ever have been uh, zip tied. Dame, what's in the news this week? Pete, there are plenty of modern YouTube videos that can show you how to escape from zip ties, by the way, just in case you, you, you ever want to learn that skill. Okay, uh, noted. <clears throat> With his 60th dinger of the season Tuesday night, Yankee slugger Aaron Judge is on pace to break the long standing American League home run record in the next few games. And if you happen to catch one of those home runs, you could be on pace to finally afford a house. Given Judge's lack of performance-enhancing drug controversy and his popularity among baseball fans, experts are estimating that his 61st home run ball could fetch anywhere from $250,000 to more than $2 million at auction. His 62nd and record-breaking bomb shot, homer, moonshot whatever uh it's some really bad copywriting it doesn't i should have edited that that's totally on me i apologize uh has an estimated value of between half a million and five million dollars for that reason yankees tickets prices have ballooned to 960 dollars on StubHub, with some eclipsing four thousand dollars on the secondary market 
Dame- Wait a minute. Okay, Kristen's got a question. People are, the ticket prices are going up because people hope that they'll be the one that catches the maybe 61st home run for a ball that might be worth. Okay. Calculated risk, which could be a mistake. Yeah, right. Financial Uh, regret. Dame, here's the question that obviously is going through most people's minds. And uh, it's just you and me. So I think you just need to focus on me and don't worry about anybody else. Let's say you're there and the ball comes to your area and there is a scrum and there is an eight-year-old girl who has the ball almost in her grasp. Do you shove the girl and take the ball? Almost in her? I mean, give me a little bit more definition on this. Very small hands barely fit around the ball. Oh, so it's like it's she's got fingers on it. Yeah, yeah, but, oh, but they're hers. very small and weak. It's it's her. No, I'm not stealing a baseball from an eight year old, <laughs> even if it's worth half a million dollars. Kristen nodded yes. I don't know. She might it might be mine. Um. All right. Well, Damien, I'm just making a note in the HR file to not let you volunteer. <laughs> Oh, actually, you said yes. It's Kristen. It's Kristen that I have to yeah. worry about. It's her HR file. Yeah. Sorry, forgot. Um, Dame, what else is in the news this week? Pete, did you watch uh, Thursday Night Football on Amazon this week? I did, and there's a special stats view where they do the next-gen stats overlaid the entire game, and they'll show the receiver's routes as they're running them so you can see the shape of the routes. Mm-hmm. And you give stats on the side. Sarah, uh, pardon me, Mrs. Planner, suggested that it was the greatest thing that ever happened to me. And I concurred a little too quickly. <laughs> well, there, there was another big difference about that broadcast, Pete. There were zero beer commercials. Oh. Unlike TV networks, Amazon bans ads that promote alcohol in several countries, including the United States. But uh-huh. an NFL telecast without beer ads is like a wedding reception without the song Shout. Uh, of the $60 million that beer companies spent on TV ads in the past two weeks, 70% was directed to NFL programming. $60 million the beer company spent on TV ads, 70% was directed to NFL programming. Please tell me you wrote that line yourself. I was just going to ask, was that your copy? No, I wish it was. But it wasn't. <laughs> so my dad, at every wedding, family wedding I've ever been to where he's there, that song comes on. He comes off as a wallflower, comes off the wall, gets to the dance floor. He's a little bit softer. And then he like does this whole thing. And my sister and, and Mrs. Planner love it. And it is like he, he just loses his mind during That's that awesome. song. And so that was very funny. Um, yeah. Beer commercials during football games seems uh, ubiquitous. Yeah, I'm I'm not sure I even would have noticed it myself, but now that I know it, if I watch next week, it's something I'm certainly going to be paying attention to, trying to figure out what's taking uh, all the ad space. Hmm. Kristen doesn't care. Well, she's uh, a whiskey drinker. Just look on the shelf behind her. Yeah. That's the thing. She's not a whiskey drinker. You That's cannot drink habit. this bottle. <laughs> oh, you can drink that bottle. No. Why? Well, we share the significance of the the it's, booze you have in your shot. It's um, it was a limited run. It has the you can't see it, but it's from when the Cubs won the World Series. Well, okay. Are you gonna sell it on a secondary market some year? Absolutely not. It's just it's too precious to keep. Just keep the empty bottle. <gasps> no. 
That's why I'm on the show, just for looks. Dane, what else is in the news? <laughs> FedEx set up plans to start raising shipping rates by an average of 6.9% across most of its services starting in January as the delivery giant copes with a global slowdown in business. The rate increase is higher than previous years and comes days after the company slashed its profit and sales forecast. FedEx and rival UPS raised shipping rates by an average of 5.9% for 2022, the first time in eight years that either had strayed above 4.9%. The average number of packages FedEx handled daily in the quarter ending August 31st fell 11% from the prior year and the third straight quarter of declines. Pete, should we really be surprised that sending fewer packages now than they were a year ago? No, it doesn't seem that surprising because people can get out and about and make their own purchases. Like, I got to admit, first of all, I don't spend that much time thinking about packages and and the cost of of having a package arrive at your home. But um, this all makes sense with the cost of jet fuel, inflation, and the fact that people, well, I guess I just reversed my decision there. It doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. So I, I don't know how to feel about it. I, I know Costco is killing it. Their uh, revenue went up 15% uh, over the Jeez. prior year. I mean, they're, they're doing okay. So it's uh, feast or famine, it seems like in the markets these days. Feast or famine. Dame, uh, before we go, little known fact, this studio desk that I am uh, broadcasting on, I think is worth roughly $250. However, though, I, however, however, I've personally valued it at over $25,000. And so I've, I've started going through different possessions and property of mine and just, just inflated the values of them because it seems like the thing to do these days. So that's, uh, that's pretty exciting. I agree. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Kristen, welcome back to the show. Glad you're here. The first miscellaneous program was a great success. Next week, it's just miscellaneous and myself as Dame uh, gets a little R&R. <laughs> okay. Uh, send you good vibes because good vibes are all that's in the budget. I'm Pete the Planner. This is the Pete the Planner show. Okay, everybody. Um, Dame? Yeah. You want to say anything before you go? Because you're not going to see the people for two weeks. Other people Uh, aren't going to see you, I guess. Be kind and take care of someone. Hmm. That's lovely. Kristen, you can't beat that. Do you want to say something worse than that? Um, Yep, there it is. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I got to go. I'm needed in Houston, Texas via fiber internet. So, uh, uh, best of luck with your lives, uh, both my co-hosts and those listening stay getting money.